people shouted, Hosanna. I don't know what they were thinking exactly. I don't know what they meant by save us that day. Many of them, was, they were referring to the Roman occupation that they had been experiencing for many, many years. Some of them probably were crying out, save us from our struggle in life, from our poverty, from our hunger, from, from our suffering. But you know, there were some. There were some who were crying out, save us, Messiah, from our sin. There's always been a remnant. Those people who understood that it's by grace that we are saved, that we come to God through through a gift of God, through his Messiah. And there in that crowd that day, there were some who understood their condition. And understood who Jesus is and what he was offering. But what's remarkable about that week of events is just five days later, five days after Jesus came into Jerusalem and they threw the palm branches down, five days later, Jesus would be arrested. Jesus would be tortured. Jesus would die. But then three days later, he came out of the grave alive. Now we choose to celebrate that resurrection every Sunday. That's why we meet on Sunday. We meet because Jesus came alive. He came out of the grave on a Sunday. But once a year, we use this Easter celebration as a time to specifically look at what Jesus did. And we're all here today... And you're sitting here and you sing songs and praise God and praise the Lord for that. But now I come up here. My job now is to do something that some of us don't always like. Because see, we like comfort. We all do. We like to be comfortable. Don't we? I mean, do you have your lazy boy? You got your couch? You got your sweet tea? Yeah, yeah. We like to be comfortable. This morning, my alarm went off at 5 o'clock, and I did not want to get out of bed because it was nice and warm. We like comfort. And that's what this circle right here represents. This represents our comfort zone. And we like to stay here. We like to be comfortable. We have flesh, what the Bible calls flesh. This part of us that hasn't been changed yet. And it desires to stay right smack dab in the middle of our comfort zone. But listen, Jesus had a comfort zone as well. Yes, he did. And I want to flash forward from Palm Sunday to start our sermon today to the Garden of Gethsemane. You'll find it in Mark chapter 14. If you want to turn there, it might be a good idea. Jesus has called his few to come with him to pray. They've already celebrated the Passover, what we call the Lord's table, what they would refer to as the Passover, as they thought back to whenever God delivered the children of Israel from the angel of death. And the 13, Jesus and his 12, gathered there in that room, And celebrated the Passover. And then one went 
to finish his betrayal of Jesus while the 12 continued to pray and to prepare for what was coming. And then Mark 14, as well as the other gospels, describe that Jesus took his disciples and went to a place that they liked to go. The Garden of Gethsemane. They're right outside of Jerusalem on a hillside. This is the place where they would often gather. As a matter of fact, when Judas set up his plan to betray Jesus, he said, I know where he'll be. He'll be there in the garden. So Jesus took his 12 there, the 11 there, and then he took Peter, James, and John alone and said to them, pray with me. We like comfort zones. We don't want to leave them. We like it there. I find the older I get, the more I enjoy my comfort zone. Do you have that experience? Listen to what happens here with Jesus. He took with him Peter, James, and John, verse 33 of chapter 14, Gospel of Mark. And he, being Jesus, began to be greatly distressed and troubled. Dr. Luke tells us that he was under so much stress that the capillaries in his skin of his face burst. Doctors say that this does happen in very rare circumstances. And then the perspiration from his body as he was under this great anguish mixed with the blood that was now coming out of his pores and he was sweating drops of blood. And he said to his three Guys there, Peter, James, and John, the inner three, the disciple that loved him, the beloved disciple, the one that truly loved Jesus, John, his brother James, and really the the first among equals here, Simon Peter, the leader. And he says to them, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch. And that was a word that meant in their language, it meant not to watch, but to watch intently so you can pray. He was saying, men, I need you to hold me up with prayer right now. Because the man part of me, Jesus didn't say all this, but we know this. The human part of him was in anguish over what was coming. My soul was very sorrowful, he said. Even to death, remain here and watch. And going a little further, he fell on the ground. He now collapsed under the the anguish or under the stress. And prayed as he's falling to the ground now. He's laying prostrate and he prays. If it were possible that the hour might pass from him. This is Jesus now. Lying on the ground in the dewy grass. Praying that this hour might pass. He's nearing death he says. You may wonder, what what was he in anguish over? What was the stress? Was it the pain? Was it the torture? Was it the whip? Was it the cross? Yes, it was all that. 
Don't miss that. It was definitely all of that. But it was also that he knew coming was a moment when he would say, for the first time ever in his eternal existence, he would say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And praise God, he did forsake Jesus at that moment. Because if he had not forsaken Jesus at that moment, you would be in your sin today, and so would I, destined for hell. You see, sin had to be punished. Death had to occur. Not only a physical death through the shedding of blood, A physical death had to occur. But there had to be a separation now of a holy God from the sin of the universe so that Jesus took on him the full penalty and consequence of our sin. He knew all this. He knew this was coming. He knew because the Old Testament scriptures had explained it. He knew from Isaiah 53 that this moment was ahead. We like comfort. And Jesus now prays a prayer that is hard to understand. He prays. Abba. That's Aramaic for daddy. That's what little four-year-old kids, little boys would call out to their dad when he came home from work. Abba! 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 Father! All things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. We like comfort. We want to stay here in the comfort and safety of the circle that we have created in our life. Jesus understands that. He understands that, but he didn't end there. See, he didn't say, amen. That's not how he ended his prayer. Thankfully, Jesus didn't end in the midst of a comfort circle. He kept praying. And he prayed this, Abba, Father, all things are possible from you. Remove this cup from me. Yet, not what I will, but what you will. That's the right way to respond to your comfort zone. That's the right way to respond to this Desire that you have to remain as you are. See, when we're on this planet, in this earth, in this flesh, we, we want to stay where we are. We want to stay what we think is best for us. We want to stay where we're comfortable. We don't want to be prodded. We don't want to be pushed. Just leave me alone. Leave me alone and let me sit here and rest. And die. That's what we want. Peter, James, and John are knocked out over here asleep. 
They got comfortable. Yesterday, we had an all-day lacrosse game, event, in Wheeling, West Virginia. Had to get up pretty early, got home pretty late. So it was this JV game in the middle, and I, you know, I wasn't as interested in that, but I was interested, but I, I just, I, I needed to get some rest between the two games where I was going to be watching and, and be more involved. So after watching a little bit of that, the beginning of that, and, and, and seeing what was happening, I said to Nancy, I have got to get some rest. I've just got to get some rest. We've got to drive home tonight, and I want to be ready for tomorrow. So climbed in the back seat of our RAV, put the seats down, curled up in a little ball. Fortunately, we had a couple sleeping bags back there. And I fell asleep in the middle of that parking lot. Oh, it was so nice. I woke up so refreshed. But I had to get comfortable, you know? Like there was this big like seat belt thing just digging in my side. So I'd move around and I'd roll around. And finally I got to that spot like a, you know, a bird in a nest and went to sleep. Don't stay comfortable. Don't stay comfortable. I'm so glad I'm not laying there asleep right now, you know? I'm glad I got to come out and see you guys. I'm glad I got to wake up and and see some action. I'm glad I'm not knocked out there. Because I want to be part of the adventure. I want to be part of the life that God intends. God doesn't want us to stay here comfortable. Jesus is our model. And he responded to the Lord and said, not my will. I'm not going to be comfortable. No. I'm going to follow in obedience behind God. And that's where the adventure is. And that's where the joy is of the abundant life. That's it, folks. Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and have it abundantly. And that's not comfortable, but it's an adventure and it's fun and it's, it's a joy. It's where joy lives, is in the uncomfortable following of Christ. That's where it is. Watch out for the comfort. Watch out for this. Because you'll die here, bored, lonely, and desperate. You'll die here in the middle of a comfort zone. So watch out for that. So I want to prod you today. I want to prod and I want to speak against the number one idol of our culture. You know, Paul had this way of coming into communities and speaking to people and and challenging them. And I want to do that today, but I want us to look to Jesus. We're going to see what Paul has to say, but I want us to look to Jesus. Got Hebrews 12 for the screen for you. The founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, hear that? He endured the cross. He realized that God was calling him to something. Yeah, Jesus in his humanity. He recognized the uncertainties of it. But remembered the truth of who God is. And responded in faith. That's the call of obedient, uncomfortable, the adventure of abundant life. Open up your Bible with me to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We're going to deal with an idol today because Jesus doesn't like idols in our life. 
And we're going we're gonna to look at the words of Paul, who's made it a business in his life as the Spirit of God led him to deal with idolatry. As you turn there, listen to a couple of these passages about Paul's, the Spirit of God's use of Paul in people's lives. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 9. You're turning to 2 Corinthians 8. But listen to 1 Thess 1, 9. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception that we had among the church. How you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. This is what God does. When we respond in our spirit to him, we turn from idols We turn from the idols of this world and turn to the only God, the only living God, Yahweh, Jesus, turning from the idols with their offer of comfort, we turn to the living God with the truth of adventure and abundant life. Speaking of the false idols, listen to what Peter writes. He says, they promise freedom. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 19. They promise freedom, but they are slaves of corruption. The idol that I want to deal with this morning is the idol of materialism and the idol of money. And the only way to kill it, the only way to kill this idol is to be generous. So we're talking about Generosity. And I want to challenge you today to move out of that comfort zone and to be generous with your life. To be generous with everything you have. It's all God's anyway, right? We sang praises with with our lungs today filled with air that God gave us. We sang that recently, that song. It's such a great truth. I want to challenge us to be generous with everything we have. Generous with your time. Generous with your energy. Generous with your relationship. Generous with your money. Generous with your things. To be generous with what we have on this earth. Why? Because it is the antidote. It is the silver bullet to kill the idolatry of materialism. God has blessed us greatly. And so today, I want to I jump into the boxing ring of your life and fight for God against materialism. I want to fight for you today. I'm not, coming at, I'm not fighting against you. I want to fight for you against materialism. And there's a long line of people before me, and there'll be many after who have also fought this fight for believers. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 8. I'm sorry, let's look back at chapter 7 and see here Paul fighting against the idols. Chapter 7, look at verse number 2. Paul here, right into this church that he started it. Paul launched this church in Corinth. He started this church He was there for a year and a half, which is a long time for Paul. And he goes away and he gets report about them. And the report is they've they've fallen victim to the world. 
They're now engulfed in sexual sin. They're now engulfed in worldly passions. They're now engulfed in materialism and they're divided against one another and they're taking up sides against each other in the church. And so Paul says, I'm coming back to fight for your heart. I'm coming back to fight. Not against, but for. So 2 Corinthians chapter 7, look what he says in verse number 2. Make room in your hearts for us. I love that expression. I love the passion of it. And if I can borrow Paul's words, I'll say them to you. Make room in your heart for what God's word has to say. He says, we've wronged no one. We've corrupted no one. We've taken advantage of no one. He's saying we, we have our integrity behind us. We, we have our resume of integrity behind us. As we come to you to prod you out of your comfort zone, remember who we are. Remember what we've been in your life. Remember how we have spoken truth and we've lived truth and we've had integrity before you and make room in your heart. He says, I don't say this to condemn you. I've said that before, that, that, that you are in our hearts to die together and to live together. And I'm making, I am acting with great boldness towards you. I have pride in you. I am filled with comfort. In all our affliction, I am overflowing with joy. Paul's heart for this church in Corinth is beautiful. He speaks to them about generosity. And I want to talk about that. And I, I want to deal with something real quick. So recently somebody asked me, they said, so Lowell, are you talking about generosity because the giving's been down at center point? And I appreciated the question. I mean, the person that asked me is in the room, and I'm not upset with you at all. I loved it. Remember our interaction? We had a long talk about it. And in my discussion with this brother of mine, I... I, I I came across something I want to share with you. You might wonder, how do we decide what we're going to talk about here? Right? How do we decide? Do we like, you know, are we watching your, do we, do we get any information from Facebook and say, okay, this is what they're talking about. So, you know, on their, their little tests and that kind of thing. So we'll talk about that. No, no. The first Saturday of December of 2017, the pastor elder team met at Roger Hendershot's house. And we prayed. And we thought, and we considered, we said, Lord, what do you have for us in 2018? What do you want us to go as a ministry? We've seen the way you provided for us. We celebrated that day. You know why we celebrated? Because God's people, up until the first week of December, had already met all of our financial needs for the whole year. Remember that? And we said, you know what? We don't need any more offering. We're done. We got all we need for 2017, so let's do this. Let's take every, th- every penny that comes in, and let's just dedicate it between what we're doing on the property and missions. Let's just divide it all among that. Because we don't need any more money. We got all we need. Okay, we'll do that. We're so excited to tell you guys about that. Praise God, the way he provided. But at the same time, we said, but what do we need to talk about with our church? And so our number one goal on December 9th or 2nd, I can't remember which one it was, our number one goal was this. Let's challenge our church in 2018 to be generous. To be generous. 
generous with everything. Let's just give ourselves away. Let's just give and give and give. Let's give our lives. Let's give our time. Let's give the gospel. Let's give our ministry. Let's just give and give and give. Let's just give this year. Let's make 2018 a year of generosity and just give. So that's where we are. That's where we are. It has nothing to do with any number on the worship notes. It has everything to do with God prodding us forward. So when my friend asked me that this week, I hung up the text phone, if you can do that. And I said, praise you, God. Because you led us. You are alive. And you lead our church. You are the chief shepherd. We're just under shepherds. You are the chief shepherd. And you led us. Now you pray for our church that we continue to be led of the Lord. Because we are, I am, I can speak for me, and them too, but we are sinful creatures. And we need God to lead us. Okay, so that's sermon one, sermon two. Let's get to sermon three. Okay, so in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, 8 that is, um, I want to see what Paul is saying to the church here. And we're going to start at verse number 16 of chapter 8. And what he's going to do, what Paul is going to do now, is he's going to ask this church to open their hearts to God's direction. He's going to ask them to again open their hearts to what God has for them. They've already done this. They practiced this before. This church was launched probably three or more years before this. They've already opened their hearts to God. But now Paul comes into their lives again. He says, listen, open your heart. Open your heart. Because we have this condition of flesh and we can close our hearts down almost like moment by moment. You ever feel that way? You're like, oh God, yes, anything, anything. No, mine, mine, mine. Go, oh God, I want you to direct me. No, I'm going to run my life. We go back, we're, we're like crazy people, you know? And so Paul here says in verse number 16, Thanks be to God, who put into the heart of Titus the same earnest care I have for you. Now here's what's so significant about that. In this Corinth church, there had grown this little, like, this little problem. And that's that people got real excited over who led them to Christ. Because there were some big names in Corinth. Names like Peter, names like Paul, names like Apollos. And so there grew this like problem. It was like, this group was like, we're followers of Peter. Go Peter. Team Peter. Okay? And they were team Apollos. And they were team Jesus. And they were team Paul. And they would start like bickering with one another. And now Paul says, you know all that garbage you're doing about who led you to Jesus and what follower you are? No. I'm sending somebody else there. And so he sends this dude named Titus. Now you, you probably recognize his name. He's got a book with his name on it in your Bible. Three little chapters. Paul took him to the island of Crete, filled with liars and cheats, and had him pastor the church there in Crete. But this is years prior to that. But he says here in 2 Corinthians Verse 16, that Titus has the same earnest care that Paul has for them. Listen, that's the mark, that's the mark of a shepherd leader. 
That's the mark of a shepherd. The shepherd doesn't run when things get hard. The shepherd doesn't take off when the wolves come. The shepherd comes and takes on the wolves. And Paul here is saying, I'm sending another shepherd your way. His name is Titus. He's got the same heart I do for you. Listen, shepherd, because you need to shepherd people in your life. I know it's hard at times, and you're, you're tempted to run. Either run out the door, run your bedroom, and shut it, and take a nap, right? No, no. Shepherds stay and fight. That's what they do. And Paul says, I'm sending Titus. For he, 17, not only accepted our appeal, but being himself very earnest, he's going to you of his own accord. He loves these people in Corinth, and he's he's going there to fight for them. I remember one time sitting with a family, and one of the spouses was leaving. They were done. They were leaving. They were going to leave the family, leave the marriage, leave the children. They They were leaving. And I'm there in their living room. And I said, you can run. And maybe you think it's done. But I'm going to fight for your family. Maybe you're not going to, wife. Maybe you're not going to, husband. But I'm fighting for your family. Shepherds, leaders, dads, moms, fight. Fight. Fight for God's glory. Fight that the idols will be killed. Fight that Christ will rule. For us as sheep, me too, we're all sheep. Open up your heart. Open up your heart to the shepherds God has placed in your life. That's what Paul's saying here. With him we are sending, verse 18, with him we are sending the brother who is famous among all the churches for his preaching of the gospel. So we've got this evangelist brother that's coming. So Titus is coming. You see him coming down the dusty road? Okay, here comes Titus. He's got another guy on one side. I don't imagine him linking arms, okay? I'm not, so I know I'm doing this, but they aren't physically linking arms. They're not weirdos, okay? But they're coming that day. You got Titus there. You got this, this gospel preaching brother, famous He must have been a great speaker. I'd love to hear this guy talk as he shared the gospel. He's coming. He's he's famous for preaching the gospel. And not only that, but he has been appointed by the churches to travel with us as we carry out this act of grace. And this act of grace, when Paul says grace here, because that word is used over and over in 8 and 9. And that word means offering in this passage. He's coming to perform this offering. He's coming to get that money. It's money that he's coming for. You've made an offering to the Lord, and Titus and this preaching brother are coming to get it. And they're going to bring it back, and they're going to use it to advance the gospel. So you got, the, you got Titus, you got the preaching brother. That's not it, okay? They keep going. And only that, but he has been appointed by the church to travel with us as we carry out this act of grace, there it is, that is being ministered by us for the glory of the Lord himself and to show our goodwill. We take this course so that no one should blame us about this generous gift. See, there it is. That is being administered by us. Paul's saying, be generous. Open your heart. 
And with him we are sending our brother whom we have often tested and found earnest in many matters. So you got Titus, whose heart beats for these believers. you got the gospel-preaching brother that's coming alongside. And then you have the dude with his calculator and his glasses. Here I am behind you, his CPA. Okay, so he's coming, all right? And he's been found earnest in many matters. This guy is the bookkeeper. He's the number cruncher. 47 shekels, you know, whatever, okay? He's coming to, to, to make sure that things are being done right. That there's nobody taking money out of the pot. You know, that the pastor doesn't live in a, you know, gazillion square foot home and drive a Rolls Royce. Titus didn't show up that way. Because this earnest brother is there, along with the partnership of the gospel preaching brother, along with the partnership of Titus, and together, they're accountable, they're responsible for the Lord, and you can trust them. And folks, you can say that about Centerpoint Bible Church. You can say that about this place. There are men who behind them have a resume of integrity. And I appreciate you men and you women. In a little bit, we're going to have an offering. And there'll be money that comes in. Those little baskets. We're doing it at the end of the service because it's an act of worship. We want to conclude with that today. And they'll take that pot of money back there and they'll count it. And that team, I know that whatever is in that plate, when it walks through that door, that's the amount that comes out. Because there's integrity, you see. There's integrity. And that means something. It's why we can open up our heart. Verse 23. As for Titus, more, more words about Titus. Now they're saying, trust him. Trust his words. He's going to tell you what you don't want to hear. He's going to tell you what you don't want to hear. He's going to say, get out of the comfort zone. You don't want to hear this. But he's going to tell you. He is my partner. That word there is koinonia. It's actually koinos. We are, we are in fellowship together. We are brothers in the battle. And fellow worker for your benefit. As for our brothers, they are messengers of the churches, the glory of Christ. So give proof before the churches of your love, of your boasting about you to these men. Now it is superfluous, we're in chapter 9, for me to write to you about the ministry for the saints. In other words, saying, I know I don't have to tell you this. God's already prodded you. He's already prodded you. So just continue to open up your heart to the Lord. For I know your readiness, of which I have boasted about you to the people of Macedonia, saying that Achaia has been ready since last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. But I'm sending the brothers... So that our boasting about you may not prove empty in the matter, so that you may be ready, as I said you would be. We need to open our heart up to God's direction, church. Center point, we're the church in Spring Mills. We are the church here. God has led us so far, so wonderfully, so clearly. 
And we need to continue moving on and allow God to direct us. Some of you need to allow the Lord to direct you to pour into the lives of our children. I'm telling you, you do. If that's you, open up your heart to it. We need leadership there. Some of you are gifted, you're experienced, you have, you have a background, you have training. You have a heart to see little kids know and love Jesus. And we got a team of people that do that and are doing it right now. But we need others to open up their hearts to that ministry. With our students, meaning middle and high school age, so excited to see what God is starting to do in our, with our students, with our teenagers. And I'm thankful for those who go and, you know, there's, there, are, there are adults that teach our, our teenagers every single Sunday. Every Sunday they get down that hallway. You ever sat in front of a group of 13-year-olds? Have you ever done that? Have you ever done it for 52 weeks in a row? And I dare you to get in there and try to pry it out of their hand. You will not pry it out of their hand. Because it's theirs. Because God has them. But we need more. We need more. Friday night, our focus group had a get-together. Somebody was generous with their home and said, come on in. 41, 42 people invaded their house. Seemed like most of them were under the age of like six. Great time of connection. See, this is opening up your heart. Generosity. Look what happens though. Jump down, jump, jump down to verse number six. We need to trust God's provision, see? The point is this. When the Bible says that, you probably ought to wake up. The point is this, duh, here it comes. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver and God is able to make all grace abound to you. So that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Trust God's provision. Be generous. There's a formula for life. The creator of life made it. And the formula is this. If you sow sparingly, you will reap sparingly. Here's what this means. If you are stingy with God, God says, I'll be stingy with you. That's what it means. He is the one that provides fruit. Whoever reaps sparingly, I'm sorry, sows sparingly, reaps sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So when I say to God, everything I have is yours, take it. Everything I have, everything I can be is yours, use it. Here's my time, here's my life, here's my career, here's my possibility, take it. Now I'm trusting the God of the universe to respond bountifully. Here's the secret, folks. Here's the little truth that you may not realize, but we got to understand it. If we aren't sowing with God, if we don't sow with God, if we don't invest in God, 
You know who the only person you have to rely on is? You. You. If I only sow for me, if I keep it all for me, then all I got to rely on is me. Whoa. I, I don't want to rely on me. I know how inadequate I am. See, I want God to multiply over my energy. I want God to multiply my time. I want God to multiply my ministry. I want God to multiply the effect of my money. I want God to multiply the things that that he's doing in my life. So I'm going to give to him and let him bring the reap, not me. Careful who you're relying on. Careful who you're trusting. I want the reaper on my side. So in one area... And this applies to all areas of generosity. The Spirit of God tells us how to do it. Verse 7. Each one. So that's you. Rich, poor, in debt or not. Have all, a piles of money. Have piles of bills. It doesn't matter. Each one of you. Don't tell me you'll do this when you're ready. Don't tell me you'll do this when you're out of debt. Don't tell me you'll do this when you pay off your college debt or when you buy your home or when your car's finally paid off. Because those days are never coming. They're never coming. You're never going to be ready to sacrifice. What if Jesus had said, okay, God, whenever I'm ready, I'll get around to it. It never comes. So each one must give as he has decided in his own heart. Don't ask me what you should give. You decide between you and God. Don't ask me. I might tell you too high. I might tell you too low. Don't ask me. You ask God. God, everything I have is yours. So how much are you going to leave me with? That's really what I'm asking you. Well, you can have it all. How much do you want me to sort of get by on? That's really what we're asking him. Not reluctantly. You know, the offer leader doesn't like, there you go, God, take it. No. But by faith, not under compulsion. Uh, uh. Remember when I was a kid, I had this little bank. Did you have one of these? Like a little school, it was like a little church building. Had a little slot in the top. Okay? We'd all line up in Sunday school and walk around the edge of the room. He'd walk up there and drop your quarter in. Remember that? How many of you know that if you don't really have a quarter, or if you have one in your pocket, you can just kind of hit it and it makes it sound like a coin dropped in there? <laughs> I've heard that. I don't know if it's really true. Okay? I've heard that. Yeah. <laughs> Alex P. Keaton. That's what they called me. Um, God loves a cheerful giver. God loves a cheerful giver. He likes cheerful children, see. 
God's the happiest creature in all the world. God is the happiest person in all the world. And he wants us to be like him. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and then sat down at the right hand of the Father. What an act of trust. What an act of faith. What an act of generosity. What an act of joy. And God is able to make all grace abound to you. So that having all sufficiency in all things, at all times, you may abound in every good work. So as I invest with God, I'll tell you what he does. He's not going to, just listen, you're not going to give God a dollar and he's going to give you then 10 that you can go spend on something. That's not going to happen. That's not the way it works. Leave that dollar in your pocket. Okay, do us all a favor and leave that dollar in your pocket or that thousand dollars or that million dollars. We don't want it. If that's your motive, maybe God will give me more if I give to him. Please, don't, not only don't give your dollar, just stay out there. That's not the church. That's not a saint. Instead, I give my money to the Lord and I say, Oh, God, give me joy of seeing you work it, seeing you use it. To see somebody change, to see somebody growing in Christ, that's worth any dollar any day. I can find dollars on the street, but I can't make a changed life. I can't make a changed life. So that's what God is saying here. He's going to now respond with all sufficiency at all times. He's going to use it. Don't let anybody lie to you and tell you he's going to give you money. That means nothing to God. It should mean nothing to us as his children. The exciting thing is when I see the Lord's Spirit take what his children offer from your measly dollar to your bad Sunday school lesson to your horrible, embarrassed effort to share the gospel. I've done them all. And to see God use that, to see him use that, and to feed back to me all sufficiency, there is no greater joy. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, as we uh, close out our time together, it's a pleasure to see you use your words. And Lord, now just as a exercise of worship. We're going to praise you in multiple ways. Receive our praise. Receive our song. Receive the worship of our heart. We thank you for your grace, Lord. We thank you for your forgiveness. We thank you for the finished work on the cross that Jesus bought our life with. We receive the offering that we're going to, re- that we're going to have this morning. And use it. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.